want to change a focus here and imagine a scene for a moment. And I hope this doesn't hit, hit too close to some of you and maybe you've had uh, family members or maybe yourself has struggled with this, but imagine a scene for a moment. A lifelong smoker sits in a doctor's office and the doctor shows the smoker x-rays of his lungs. The smoker listens intently. He sees the serious condition he's in. He knows he needs to make a change. Actually, he's known that for a long time. He realizes with clarity that if he doesn't change, he will likely die from his choice to keep smoking. He picks up his phone and on that smart screen sees his grandkid's picture. He determines right there, I'm going to do something. I'm going to toss my cigarettes out as soon as I leave this office. I'm going to go to my family. I'm going to uh, get their help in this struggle. I'm going to do whatever it takes to change, this man thinks. And as soon as that smoker leaves the office, instead of throwing the cigarettes away, he lights up and says, what a great visit. That was really impacting. I can't wait to go home and tell everyone what I learned. I've got some thinking to do. But first, I've got to stop at that gas station and pick up some more cigarettes. Now, let me ask you, was that smoker in more danger or less danger after he left the office? Was he in more danger or less danger after he left the office? See, he left knowing more. His emotions had been engaged. He had felt the weight of consequences. He had made a commitment. But if he left without making the changes the doctor convinced him he should make, was he any better off? Maybe he was worse off. If the smoker's comfort was a great doctor's visit, he has deceived himself. It's not enough to receive medical advice. In James 1, verses 19 to 21, which we looked at last week, James advocated for God's people to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But it's not enough to passively receive God's word. To simply listen. Like it's a, a stimulating topic or, or good advice. Because the word has been implanted in believers by God's spirit, doesn't mean we're simply to, to stand back. And since it's been implanted there, let's just stand back and let growth happen. Let's just watch ourselves grow. In James 1, verses 22 to 25, today's passage, James reminds the suffering Christians, they were mostly poor and oppressed Jews in this early date in church history, their earliest it's, it's likely the earliest of the New Testament epistles, the first book in the, New, in, the, in the New Testament. He reminds them that they have a responsibility. These oppressed, oppressed Jewish saints were to be doing more than welcoming the word. They must also be doing the word. This is what it means to receive the word, not just to welcome it, but to do it. So let's listen to God's word this morning so we can do God's word. As I read from James 1, I'll start at verse 19, I'll go up to verse 25. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And here's where we'll focus this morning. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. I am missing my proposition. But that's okay, because it is in your notes that you have at home. I don't know. I must have just deleted it at some point. I got a little excited. So what we're going to be doing this morning is we are going to be examining uh, James 1, verses 22 to 25. You will notice that my outline points are, 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 uh, are more descriptive so that each outline point is not a, a, a command to do something. They're just going to be a descriptive walking through the passage. I trust by God's grace you'll be able to understand the passage when we are finished. And the purpose why we are learning about not being learners but doers is so that we don't deceive ourselves and so that we enjoy God's blessing, so that we can be certain of God's blessing, so that we don't deceive ourselves and so that we can be certain of God's blessing. We're going to begin with this command to hear and do. Command to hear and do. And it says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. The command to hear and do. Now, this translation in, in the New American Standard, prove yourselves, it's fine. But it's perhaps starting off a little more confrontational than James intends. James isn't saying, now, since you claim to be, prove yourselves to be. Which is most often if we start off saying, prove yourself, you're like, oh, okay, I've, I've, I've got to show something here. The command is simply, be doers of the word. Or maybe, be in the habit of doing his word. You need to be doers. In verse 18, the word of truth was clearly the gospel. It is the good news that saves us. We see that if we go up to verse 18. He says, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we'd be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. We become saved through that word of truth, that basic core gospel that Jesus Christ took the punishment of sinners, that any who repent of their sins and come, uh, turn to him in faith, trusting in his sacrifice on their behalf, if they believe in him, they are saved. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead as evidence, as proof that he indeed took the punishment of sinners. That that is that word of truth. In James 1.21, James said, talking about the same word, In humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And here we see the, the understanding of word maybe broadening a little bit. It's, it does include the gospel. We receive the gospel. It's implanted in us. But also there's this idea of it being able to save ourselves. There's a sense that we need to continue in it, that God's word is authoritative. We need to keep receiving the gospel. We can't leave the gospel. But that's not all, and we'll see. The word in verse 22, as we look at this morning, is not only that, that narrow gospel message of faith in Christ, it also includes the broader commands of Christ. This is the authoritative message of how not only are we to be made right with God, but also how God requires us to live. 
It's not just how we are made right with God, this word, this, this perfect law of liberty he's going to describe it as, but also how we please God as we walk in obedience with him. So being merely a hearer, as James says in verse 22, pro- prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Being merely a hearer means that your application of God's word doesn't extend past your immediate interaction with God's word. Your your application of God's word doesn't last longer than your interaction with God's word. It's kind of like a child who hears, but then walks away and immediately does something different than what their parents said. A hearer may experience conviction under God's word. A hearer may recognize their need for repentance. A hearer may be convinced by the benefit of obedience and even by the beauty of obedience. Their hearts may be captured by this this picture. A hearer may find the prospect of conforming conforming to God's commands stimulating. Like, wow, that's, that's, that's really good. They may even find it stimulating. They may be convinced to make a change. A hearer can do all those things. A hearer may have a great conversation after the sermon, discussing something read maybe in that morning's Bible time or something heard during the message. But the one who merely listens stops there. They were convinced they needed to do something. But they weren't convinced enough to do something. They were convinced that they needed to do something, but they weren't convinced to actually do something. And this reminds us of that double-minded man in the beginning of James 1. A doer of the word doesn't stop with hearing the word. Doing the word looks differently depending upon whether you are already obeying that message being given. And that's true of, of, of today's message. Some of you may be very actively doing. You might have great patterns of doing. And you can be encouraged by what you hear from God's word. It may be very confirming to you that you are indeed doing the word. You may look at saying, wow, there's some ways that I need to fine-tune my obedience where I need to give a little bit more attention to God's word. You can thank God for the obedience that Christ is accomplishing through you. So that is doing the word. There are also times in which we are convinced that we aren't doing the word. We're convicted. We know as we listen or as we read, there are discrepancies between what God requires and our obedience. See, the doer of the word repents not just when the word is opened, but afterward. Doing the word requires at least some of the following, maybe not all every time, but planning changes. Doing the word requires making changes. Doing the word requires confessing sin. Maybe not every time, but often. You can't think of really often it would be a bad idea. Evaluating changes. Am I changing? I'm going to go back to to, to the the message. I'm going to go back to what I read. I'm going to evaluate my changes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to process those changes in prayer. How is this change going, Lord? You could talk to other people about, do, 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 I've been working on this. How, how have you seen me changing? See, writing a, in a journal is not enough if you never do anything with what you write. Taking notes can be valuable, but more valuable is responding to the notes that you've taken. So as you experience, as you listen to God's word, Are you changing your thinking so that your thinking is submitting to God's word? 
Are you aligning your values with the values of God's word? Are you turning away from worldviews rejected in God's word? Are you believing when it says to believe? Are you mourning when it says to mourn? Are you rejoicing when it says to rejoice? Are you loving when it says to love? Are you making disciples? Are you obeying what you have heard in James? You even just think of this first chapter of James. We have a lot we are responsible for just in this first chapter. And maybe some of you will be encouraged as you think through these past weeks and the changes you've made, the doing you've done as you've heard. Maybe you've grown in considering trials as joy. You've been committed in seeking wisdom from God and not being double-minded. You've been rejoicing in your exaltation, but also rejoicing in your humiliation. You're being steadfast. You're not blaming God. You're resisting temptation. You're trusting God's goodness in trials. You're welcoming the word. That's just a, a little of what we've gone through in James. James says it's not enough to hear. We need to be doers. We need the command to hear and do is what he said in verse 22. And now he's going to look at what the danger of deceit is. We're going to look at the danger of deceit next. It says who delude themselves, the danger of deceit. Those who merely hear without doing delude themselves. And that means they lie to themselves. It's the most dangerous form of deceit. The one hearing is sitting under God's word. They may have emotional responses. They may make earnest commitments. They have started down a path that could lead them to obedience. If I was going to obey, this is what it would look like. It would be continuing along this path. But they fail short of doing what God requires. Now, James doesn't spell out what lies listeners tell themselves. Some lies that they may tell themselves are that by listening, I've done what God requires. Perhaps it's the lie that listening is the same as obedience. That God is pleased with listening without action. I was really moved. The lie is that Jesus is Lord of the one who merely hears when Jesus is actually the Lord, the one who hears his word and does them. Right? Jesus is not the Lord of the one who only hears. He's the Lord of the one who hears and does. These lies train our conscience to be satisfied with impulses towards obedience. And some of them can feel really good to be satisfied with impulses towards obedience rather than actual obedience. To be satisfied with the pangs of conviction, with that pain of knowing we've been exposed by God's law without steps of conformity to God's law. The lie is that we're right with God because we listened or we're moved. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Jesus illustrates this, and we're going to see James illustrate this in a minute. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, listening without doing, will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. See, the presence of a building is not evidence of the quality of the foundation you've built upon. 
the presence of a building, what looks like a Christian, even what listens like a Christian, is not evidence of a foundation. Jesus said the difference is in the acting. Neither is the presence of a plant evidence of a harvest. And Jesus demonstrates that in the parable of the sower. Right? Just having a, a plant doesn't mean that it's going to be a fruitful plant. Doesn't mean that that's going to be a plant that grows into an obeying plant. Listen to Matthew 13, verses 20 to 23, as Jesus illustrates this principle obviously dear to his heart. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He has a response. Yet he has no firm root in himself but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown, this is the gospel, among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word again who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Jesus distinguishes the one who hears and understands because of the fruit of obedience in their life. We've seen James explain the command to hear and do. He showed the danger of deceiving ourselves. And now he's going to add his own illustration of what merely hearing is. He's going to have an illustration of just hearing. And we see that in verses 23 and 24. And you can see that uh, uh, Jesus was used to James' style of, I mean, James was used to Jesus' style of preaching. The Apostle James has his own illustration of what it's like to hear without doing. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And it's a really simple illustration there of hearing without doing. See, mirrors were different in the ancient world. And, and it's not necessary to make sense of this, but I, I, I do think it helps. They were made of polished bronze or silver. They didn't provide the clarity of, uh, of the mirrors we have now. The, the reflection would be dim and warped, one commentator writes. See, in the ancient world, looking in a mirror was a little bit more work than the quick glance we, 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 we can give in, in our mornings. When someone investigated that polished metal... They considered their natural face. That, that was the face that they were born with. And, and whatever the reason that brought them to that mirror, they, they sought to evaluate what they saw. Whether they were looking to see if they were really clean, whether they were examining their style, or may, maybe whether they were looking to see how something was, was, was healing on their face. But in James' illustration here, after doing so, they go away. They leave the mirror. And James says they have immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The forgetting was more than the idea of forgetting what I look like. right? It, it, it's, it's not just like, oh, yeah, did I, I have a beard or not? I should probably touch my face. No, it's, it, it's more than that. That word forgotten can also mean, mean to, 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 excuse me, to, ne, ne, to ne, neglect. You never know. To neglect to overlook, or to, to, to not really care about. See, this 
neglecting what was visible begins in that moment where he turns around. It says, for if anyone is the hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Okay, so far, so good. For once he's looked himself and gone away. He turns around and he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The illustration is memorable because it's ludicrous. No one looks in a mirror intending to do something, especially if you've ever found yourself in a restaurant, maybe sitting there, and you don't really have the freedom to go, to the, to go look in the restroom, and someone's walked away from the table, you grab that spoon, and you try to look in it to see if you've got anything in your teeth. Have any of you ever done anything like that? And, and is that going to take some actual work to try to see your reflection in a spoon? Or maybe you've got a meeting, and, 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 and you've already shut the car door, and you're like, well, my car window's kind of shiny, or my car door is kind of shiny. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look and see how I look. Right? It takes a little work to examine yourself. If you put that much attention into looking at your reflection, you do that to fix what is out of place. But this person here in James 1, this hearer has reflection amnesia. Upon turning, he doesn't remember what he was doing. What, what, was I supposed to get dental floss? Was, was I going for a hairbrush, a washcloth, a band-aid? just completely forgets. And, it, and James intends this to be a ludicrous picture. This, this is a picture of the folly of hearing God's word and doing nothing. While, while, while under the influence of God's word, whether it's read in your Bible times, whether you're hearing it preached, whether you're meditating upon it, or even memorizing a passage, then you see yourself with clarity. You have a sense of what should be done. But upon going away, you forget your conviction. You forget that you were sad. You forget that you were joyful. You forget that you were willing to change. The man who makes no changes when looking in the mirror is missing the point of the mirror. And the person who makes no changes when looking at God's word is missing the point of God's word. James goes on, and he, he leaves the, the illustration at this point. But he's going to make really clear for us the difference between hearing and hearing with doing. And that's our fourth point. The difference in hearing with doing. And we're going to see that in the beginning of verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. So, so he, he doesn't say, now I'll, show, I'll tell you the real way you should look in a mirror. He assumes that they know that. James uses a different word for looking in verse 25. It, it, it's translated as, as, as to look intently. And the word means to, to bend over and look. It's used of Mary in John 20 verse 11. She stooped and looked into the tomb. And that word, stooped and looked, those two words, is really this one word, looking. It, it, it's, it's looking over to, 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 to examine. Now, it's possible that James is, is indicating a more intentional looking. He does use a different word. But we've got to be careful making too much of it. It's not necessarily a stronger word. To, 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 to look into that polished silver mirror was still work. So a hearer can still pay attention. But perhaps he's indicating that, that this is an extra attentive looking. But the real obvious difference isn't necessarily the, the looking. It's possible. The first great difference with this person is that when they look into God's word, 
here called the perfect law, the law of liberty, it says they abide. That's the real difference. They abide. The idea is simply that they remain alongside it, that they continue in it. In contrast, the hearer in, in verse 24 goes away. The ESV has persevering. They're abiding, they're persevering, they're staying. And that doesn't mean necessarily that they just stay in their chair or that they hit replay on the sermon or that they read the chapter again, although those could all be good steps. They are compelled so that they look and they linger. And it's not just because God's word is interesting to them. It's not because it's intellectually stimulating to them. Sometimes it's because it's exposing. Sometimes it's because it's painful. Sometimes it's because it's refreshing. They look on Sunday, and, and, and these doers of the word, they look again on Monday. And maybe they look again on Tuesday and on Wednesday. It is transforming. Now, now of course, we are limited, finite people. We can't necessarily go over every past sermon we've heard or every chapter of the Bible. But, but, but it's hanging on to something. It's staying there. You may not be remembering all of James 1, but as you've examined your heart, you've picked out a couple major points that you're really focusing on growing in. They stay. The second great difference is, so, so the first difference with this doer is that they stay. And the second one is that the one who only hears has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So that's the second great difference. He doesn't forget. The doer does not forget says, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. He doesn't forget. Being an effectual hearer does not mean that one remembers everything you read or every sermon you listen to, but that they hear with purpose in mind. There may be times, I can almost guarantee that there's times where it's better to not read another chapter where it's better to not listen to another sermon and instead to focus on doing what you just listened to. Being an effectual doer doesn't mean that one remembers everything, but it means that they listen with a purpose in mind, and that purpose is action. And maybe you're very confirmed that you're already taking that action, or maybe you're listening with the purpose of, oh, wow, this is something I've not been doing. What is the action God wants me to take from this? They want to be a doer who acts so that they remember what they've read. Doers are eager to please God in doing. They love pleasing the Lord. They look forward to this as an opportunity, not to earn salvation, but to demonstrate affection and love for their heavenly Father. Doers are hopeful people. They know that God is a, is a good master. He's not waiting to scold them for when, uh, when their obedience is not perfect. But they know that, 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 that their Father loves them, and is even happy in their imperfect obedience. They are excited, these doers, to show the power of Christ in their obedience. In the, in the, in the way that they deny themselves and, and pick up the cross and follow him, they want to show the, the worth of Christ and the value of Christ, and that Christ has transformed them, so they embrace doing. They are disciples who hear Jesus' words and do them. They're aware of Jesus' high priestly, sympathetic mediation on their behalf as Christ intercedes to the Father for our help in obeying. This is what makes doers doers. There is the optimism of the gospel transforming their souls so that they can say, I get to obey. 
They are pursuing God's glory in their doing. See, God's commands are opportunities to be seized and not burdens to be avoided. An effectual doer, this doer who acts, listens to God's word long enough and evaluates whether change is needed. And then they reevaluate how is change going. Now remember, and I want to encourage you, saints, and this is where, if you look at the questions that I sent out in the last email, there are things in your life where you've been obeying. If you are a Christian, I'm confident there's many ways that you've been obeying. And there's much you could be encouraged by. There, there's, there, there's evidence in your life. I, I trust for, for, for the vast majority of you of the fruit of your, the Spirit in your life and you, you fulfilling your roles and your affection for the Lord. So we have to remember, not every time you hear God's word requires the same change. Sometimes listening requires you keep doing what you're doing. You're doing well, so keep on in that. Sometimes it requires minor course corrections, just doing something a little bit different. You know, I've been working this, but I need to get more serious here. Sometimes reflection may lead to wholesale repentance. The difference between the hearer only and the hearer who does is this remaining and remembering that becomes doing. The difference between the person who hears only and the hearer who does is that remaining and remembering becomes doing. Beloved, it's not enough to read God's word. It's not enough to listen to Sunday's sermon. It's not enough to feel conviction. It's not enough even to make some plans. When God's word reveals where change is needed, we must remain, we must remember, and we must do, or we deceive ourselves. Now, James has thrown in here some, some, some sweet motivation that may not automatically sound like, like encouragement. Right? And, 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 and I've kind of skipped over it so far. You may have noticed in verse 25. He describes as the word, not as the word. But this time he describes it as the perfect law of liberty. And, 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 and to make it clear, the numerical standard has law twice. The perfect law, the law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. See, James transfers from talking about the word to talking about law. But it's very clear from context that he has the same thing in mind. In verse 22, he talked about doing the word. And so now it's natural that he, he can talk about this being law. And for those of you who've struggled with legalism in the past, it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. James is comfortable making this transition, and we can too. Both phrases are to reinforce and to persuade us of the goodness of God's requirements. Now, writing to Jewish Christians, it'd be very clear. When James says law, it would automatically remind them of God's law given to Israel at at, at Mount Sinai. The the rules and regulations that govern the lives of, of uh, of his people. Including the, the Ten Commandments, but not limited. And James doesn't dis, d- dismiss this connotation. He doesn't say, oh, wait, I know you're all thinking law of the Old Testament there, so I'm not talking about that. But he does build upon it. 
And I think that, that that's a good way of thinking. He doesn't dismiss it. He builds upon it. The qualifications of perfect and of liberty suggest that something more is in view than only the law that God gave on Mount Sinai. One author writes, James' law does not refer to the law of Moses as such, but to the law of Moses as interpreted and supplemented by Christ. And I think that that's a good way of understanding it. The law of Moses is interpreted and supplemented by Christ. The law is how God's people are to live in God's kingdom under God's king, Jesus Christ. The law is how God's people are to live in God's kingdom under God's king, Jesus Christ. See, the law he describes is perfect. It is mature. It is complete now. It it, it is fulfilled. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He perfectly demonstrated how God's people are to love God and love one another. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. In Christ, the law is perfected. It has become his law, and Paul even refers to it as the law of Christ. This is Christ's law, but the law, this this perfect law found in in his complete picture in Jesus Christ, this perfect law he also describes as as a law of liberty, and we're like, whoa, those ideas don't go together. When when, when I say to my kids, here's the law, but here's freedom, I'm like, ah, you just blew my mind. It's a law of liberty. See, this this law is not oppressive. It's not constricting. It's not a constraining law. For, for, for us who are God's people, the law is not a boa constrictor given to, to crush the breath out of us, to stifle our obedience. Through God's new covenant work, through God's new covenant work following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit being outpoured in our hearts, we are, have the ability to walk. We have the ability to walk according to this law. It is our new nature to obey this law. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 says, This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel, which by God's grace has been extended to Gentiles. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within my people, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Christ came so that we could follow the law. The law is freedom for those for whom Jesus is Lord. The law is freedom for those whom Jesus is Lord. Being liberated from slavery to self, slavery to sin, the saints, those who are in Jesus Christ, are free to love. And they are free to fulfill God's perfect law embodied in Christ. We can look at Christ as the fulfillment of the law and saying, I want to be like him and I must be like him. I need to love God like he loves God. And I need to love one another like he loves one another. And scripture is going to teach me how. All of scripture teaches us how. For James, the perfect law, the law of liberty, is not a question of what do I have to do? But of what do I get to do, right? That's that's a law of liberty. We should be able to say, I love this perfect law of liberty. Right? We, we should dive into God's word confident we're going to bring up precious pearls when they're commands. That's what knowing Christ liberates us to do, that gives us the power to obey so that we can love obedience, so that we don't have to do the law, which, which we do, but so we get to do the law. 
The law is where we find out how to please our Father. The perfect law, the law of liberty, is the path of discipleship. It's to listen to Christ and to be like Christ. Listen to Matthew 22, verses 36 to 39. Teacher, Jesus, you call him teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, Jesus said. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or as Paul says in Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One commentator writes, and this, this is beautiful, Within the boundaries of the law of God, man is free. Within the boundaries of the law of God, man is free. He continues, for there he lives in the environment God designated for him. It's like when you put your kid in their playpen and they have some, some toys that they're enchanted with. It's not constricting being in that playpen. They, 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 they love what they get to do in there. They're sitting there with, with, with a puzzle or their, or their favorite dolls and they're enjoying that time. When he crosses the boundary, this commentator writes, he becomes a slave to sin. When you go outside the designated boundary, when he crosses the boundary, he becomes a slave to sin. As long as he keeps the law, he's free. Within the law, there's freedom, and we get to enjoy loving and obeying God. Beloved, God's word is the perfect law of liberty. Christ liberated sin's slaves so that we can live out law and become like the perfect law keeper. Is there a deficiency in Christ that you fear becoming like him? And that should shock you, right? Because that's scary, right? Is there, is, is there something lacking in Christ, some, some stain upon his character that you would want to not be like him? No. He is, he is, he is the perfection of beauty. He is holiness embodied. He is holy. He's beautiful. Any of us who spend time with him, if you are in Christ, you would want to spend more time with him. Christ is beautiful, and the perfect law of liberty is where we find his character so that we become like him. So we don't need to be afraid about being doers. It's a great blessing. So far as we've worked through this passage of James, we've looked at the command to hear and do. We've looked at the danger of deceit. We saw an illustration of, of, uh, of hearing with a mirror. We saw the difference between hearing and doing. We saw the joy of the law. And here at last, he began with a warning of deceiving yourself, and now he ends with a promise of blessing. The promise of blessing is our last part. This man, the person who hears and does, will be blessed in what he does. See, instead of the self-deception facing the one who merely hears, the one who hears and does will be blessed in what he does, or more literally, in his doing, in his obedience, in, in, in what he does. The person is a state of, of being blessed by God. I, I'm enjoying living within God's blessing. I'm within the confines of the law. I love it here. This is great. I, I'm enjoying my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is great. This is what that person has to say. He's blessed in what he does. The one who's blessed by God is certain of God's approval, enjoying the benefits of that right relationship with God. Now, that relationship with God only comes through faith in Jesus Christ, right? 
there is this the, the sense in which our approval before God, our being welcomed into God's presence, our being accepted by God, is only based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have union with his death and resurrection through believing in him. But as we believe in him, we get to enjoy that blessing by walking, listening, and hearing. This is what he promises. This man will be blessed in what he does. Within that covenant relationship with God, in which we trust Christ's sacrifice and we obey him as Lord, we enjoy the certainty of God's approval. We know we're enjoying his smile upon us. I'm like, oh, you have another part of God's word I'm not obeying? Well, please give that to me because I would love to find that out. Right? That's freedom, right? Like, oh, to obey him is life. I love this. I want you, you all to know that. I want to know that more. So in that sense, we're, we're blessed. You can almost say we're fortunate. We're, we're happy. We're, we're the most privileged in the universe because God smiles upon our obedience empowered by our union with Christ. In this verse, James doesn't explore what the particulars of this blessing is. He, he doesn't say if this is a present blessing, a future blessing. No doubt that doers blessed in the present right now, knowing he's pleasing to God the Father and pleasing his son Jesus Christ. He's also blessed, though, because he looks forward to that future commendation. Because he's looking forward to that reward in his master's presence of his master, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Receiving that full, the full manifestation of that blessing is going to be a matter of, 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 of delayed gratification. We're waiting for the full reception of that blessing. But the one blessed by God in doing is, is enjoying that certainty as they live out the evidence of righteousness in their life by being righteous. So, beloved, are you enjoying being blessed in the doing? I trust by God's grace many of you are. But maybe some of you haven't been enjoying that blessing in doing. As you reflect upon your hearing, as you reflect upon your doing, can you rejoice that your faith is being affirmed? Yeah, God has brought me to new life. I, 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 I'm, I'm excited to obey him. Or does a lack of doing, maybe week after week, lead you to question whether you are blessed? If you week in and week out If you week in and week out are failing to do what you see clearly in God's word, you are convicted and you know you should do something different, but you don't, do, you don't, you don't obey. If there's no doing, how can you be confident in your blessing? If there's no doing, how can you be confident in your blessing? As Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight, this is so simple. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Observe it means to keep it, to guard it. Would Jesus describe you as blessed in your keeping his word? And that doesn't have to be the law's thunder smashing down on you. You could be encouraged by that. Or maybe you're convicted knowing that Christ has wrought more obedience in your life through his death and resurrection than you're currently living out. 
In the illustration I began with this morning, the smoker deceived himself that his quality doctor experience was an appropriate substitute for actual health. Boy, that was a great time with, with, with the doctor. I was, I was really impacted, that smoker thought. I, I left really challenged. I even made some, 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 uh, some c- c- commitments before I left. I went home and talked about it with friends. But his health was no better and even worse if he left feeling that something had been accomplished without doing. So, brothers and sisters, don't be satisfied with understanding God's word. Don't comfort yourself that you feel convicted by the text, although that's good. Don't relax because you've made a commitment. That's good, too. Will you be someone who metaphorically walks away and lights up? Or will you be someone who remembers and does? Who remembers tomorrow and does tomorrow? Who remembers to come back this week and check how the doing's going? Don't be deceived in hearing. Be blessed in doing. Let's pray. Father, I definitely do not want to do what only your spirit can do. And it's not my job to encourage those who who should be very concerned. And I can't make concerned those who should be very encouraged, and I don't want to. Lord, I pray that your spirit would use your word now, but also later today and tomorrow and this upcoming week to help us as your people to examine uh, whether you are getting the obedience in our lives that you purchase with the blood of Christ. Lord, we know that in this life we're not going to obey you perfectly, but we do want to obey you truly. We want to be true hearers and true doers. We know, Father, that this is only capable through your spirit. Lord, we, we look forward to many more Sundays in your word, we're looking for more Sundays in James. James goes hard after actions. Lord, help us to be hearers and doers. We do thank you, Father, for uh, our dear brother, Joshua Mack. We thank you, Lord, that you're going to be bringing him to bringing us your word. Uh, prepare our hearts to be good doers of what he brings uh, us to you from your word. Thank you, Father, for uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.